Hello, and welcome to another episode of Altitude, where we talk to the founders of future high-flying companies in Latin America. I'm your co-host, Brian Reckworth. And I'm your co-host, Thomas Rojo. Today, our guest is Marcos Adler, co-founder of Clubi. Marcos is a carioca. That means he's from Rio for the non-Brazilian listeners. Now, this guy loves traveling, sailing, and photography. With a background in economics and an MBA from Wharton, he worked for almost five years at GE, then as a consultant at McKinsey. Now committed to help tackle income inequality and operational inefficiencies, Marcos hopped on the tough mission to build Clubi, a digital network of small merchants that will transform the way their members operate their businesses. Marcos, great to have you on the Latitude podcast. Welcome to Altitude. Hi, Brian. Hi, Tommy. I'm really happy to be here. This conversation with you guys, I really admire everything that you're putting together. It was really great to be part of the first cohort of Latitude Fellows. I learned a ton. It was an amazing experience. And really appreciate all the help that you guys are, are bringing to Clubi at, at this point as well, way after the program. So I'm sure you're going to build a, a great ecosystem here for Latam, and, and we need that. Amazing. Thanks, Marcos. We're doing it together, man, and we appreciate you and the business you're building. We're excited about it, uh, obviously. So it's going to be fun to be on the ride with you. Marcos, let's kick it off. What is Clubi? What is the problem that you're trying to solve and how? Yeah, so... Kubi is a, is a one-stop shop for small independent groceries to buy everything they need to fill up their shelves and improve the way they manage their stores. So the problem here we're talking is that distribution for these pro products in Latin America is really inefficient, especially for the fragmented retail, right? For this part of the market, it is, is about 50% of it. The manufacturers, they have a, a, a very hard time executing their go-to-market strategy for this segment because it's so fragmented and, and offline. It's, it's just hard to manage all those relationships door-to-door. Uh, -door. And so they end up relying on, on intermediaries that have sales reps that, who visit these customers once a week, door-to-door, -door, uh, and collect orders on pen and paper. For the long tail here, and when we're talking about the, the really small mom and pop, It ends up being, uh, they end up being left over by those distributors because it's not just not profitable to serve them. And so they struggle, uh, to make sure they, they have everything they need in their shelf to, to just, you know, fill their shelf. And they end up having to go to cash and carry physically, pick up the goods and bring it back. And besides that, they also don't have the right tools to make, you know, core business decisions like planning and controlling inventory, uh, pricing. Uh, figuring out the, the portfolio they should have in their stores. That's what we, we want to solve. And the way to do it is to digitize the operations of those mom and pop shops, right? End to end. From the way they buy, from the way they source their supplies, to the way they operate their stores, and also how they sell and communicate with their customers in the community around them. That's uh, obviously an enormous market. You said 50% of the market is just kind of this smaller mom and pop market. When we look at Latin America, I've often said that fintech is kind of the gateway for the global investors, right? Because with Nubank and others, Mercado Libre is a fintech, right? So when you look at the business you've built, what you described, you didn't really emphasize the fintech, but there's a fintech side to this business. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. And, and it's actually a very important uh, piece of the puzzle. 
because these small businesses, they, they struggle with cash flow every day. They don't have access to efficient sources of capital. They're completely out of the bank's radar, right? So how do they do it they, daily? They either pay in kind to the cash and carry uh, and bear the full working capital, or they have very short payment terms with the few suppliers that still serve them who aren't at all specialized in, in, in credit players, right? So there's a huge opportunity here to provide the funds these small businesses need uh, you know, to improve their cash cycle with innovative data-driven solutions and also leveraging all the information from being their one-stop shop, from being their main commercial partner. Thank you, Marcos. You already mentioned some of the challenges you face, but give us an idea of how are you basically tackling these challenges and how are you getting to these guys, right? Because we're talking about a really long tail, about millions of grocery, millions of stores across the whole of Brazil, right? Yes, it's a, definitely a challenge because, and it did scare me a lot uh, in the beginning because the, the large majority uh, of our customers, they're not tax savvy at all, right? Uh, and they, they, they typically don't want to change the way they've been doing business for the last 20, 30 years. And it's also hard to find these guys online, right? And we realized three things to get them to use technology, right? To adopt technology. Uh, and it's really working well. And then we did this by really visiting hundreds of, of shops across Brazil and talking to the owners. And the first one is that you got to provide a solution that is 10 times better what they have today. And this means going way beyond the online purchasing experience only. Uh, it means you got to provide the whole solution for them. And, and that means ensuring they can find everything they need at good prices with you. Uh, ensuring the fastest delivery and the best reliability compared to all their suppliers, right? And they see the value that you add to their business by doing this. So it doesn't matter if it's a sales wrap or if it's a, a website, they are going to purchase from you because you're the best partner they can have to make sure they can fill their shelves. The second part then, okay, now we we figured out how to make them interested in what we're offering. Then is making sure that the adoption is as frictionless as possible. Our customers, they, they only have to answer a few questions and in 10 minutes, they're ready to place their first order with no commitment, right? It's really, the whole process is really fast, really simple, really easy for them to understand. And last, we're obsessive about onboarding. They really need us to get started. Having a very important onboarding process, being very close to them uh, at the beginning of their journey is really important to make sure that they adopt the behavior and they coming back to your website organically. Thanks for sharing that. One question, just switching gears here uh, that I have is, I've always believed that we need more entrepreneurs and less consultants and bankers. And I see that you're an example of that. You were at McKinsey and you decided to go from consulting to building companies. How do you think your previous professional experience contributed to what you're doing now? And how can we get more entrepreneurs in the mix? Totally agree with you there, Brian. And uh, starting a business was always a dream, but I, for a long time, I didn't, I just didn't feel, uh, feel prepared or I just didn't feel I had, you know, that 
bright, perfect idea. And, and then I realized that, you know, after a few years at, at McKinsey Consulting, my learning curve starting to flatten out and I'm always trying to learn uh, new things and, and trying new things. That idea came in naturally to me as, as I saw, I got inspired by some very close friends who were making this move, who were moving into the space. And I was there next to them and seeing their journey. And it made me feel comfortable to make the move. And, and also made me know what the first steps were going to be. So yeah, it, it was a great move, I'd say, you know, really happy I'm here now for sure. That's cool, Marcos. Thanks for that. And tell us a little bit about how you met your co-founders, Joao and, and Alex. For sure. So Joao and I were, were introduced by a friend in common who studied with me at Wharton, Stephanie. And she's, by the way, she's also a Latitude fellow. Well, you care. We both know her. Yeah. She's coming on the podcast, I think, next week. Nice. So I'll send her a Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for that, because she's uh, at the origin of, of it all. So she made the intro between uh, Joe and I, and, and she was like, you guys are perfect fit. You're both trying to start a business. You should meet and, and, and exchange cards, right? And there was an in- instant match between us in terms of you know our interests, our purpose, and I fell in love with this problem the, the minute Joe uh, introduced it to me. From, and he saw it uh, from his experience at, at Red Bull as the, the head of distribution at Red Bull. He was there struggling every day with this problem uh, for a few years. And so we decided to hop on a, on a sprint to, uh, for a couple of months to work together on the problem and see if we functioned uh, well together uh, before we committed. And, and it was a great experience. We always knew that um, most important skill that we lacked as a founding team, the both of us, was technical, right? Was about tech. Since the beginning, we, uh, we've always wanted to bring in a, a third co-founder that was going to bring that complementarity. And we brought Ali, who really great. He's, he worked with one of our angel investors in the past. You know, he's making magic here today. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, a, it's an important piece. Uh, and I think there's two things to unpack there. One the importance of kind of like in that early, those early days, kind of testing the waters and maybe creating an environment where you can get see how you work together. One of the missions we have with Latitude is providing an environment for that. And then two, the tech component is super critical, right? I made the mistake of not having a, a super strong technical co-founder from the beginning, and we had a lot of catching up to do. So talk a little bit more about just the team that you're building, especially when it comes to attracting uh, tech talent. How are you doing that? So it was really tough in the beginning. I guess every entrepreneur you talk about, they're going to tell you one of the largest pains they have is to recruit tech talent. It's that, that market is just so, uh, uh, so hot today, right? And, and the devs, they have so many options and it's, it's really hard to get their attention when you only have a dream. First lesson we learned, uh, and, and the first talks we, we made, uh, you know, conversations we had, we only have the, had the dream was, to put an MVP in place, or at least some proof uh, that the, that your business model makes sense. And once you have that, you, you, you're you're in a much better position in the conversation. It's a lot easier to make them interested uh, in in what you're building, right? In in those first uh, in those first moves. And 
And the second element here was to, to understand what really attracts attack talent at this stage at so early is to giving them to give them the opportunity of building something so i learned to to change a lot my pitch about the business when when talking to them after countless conversations was to talk a lot less about all the business technicalities and while the why the business model works and you know how do we make money and everything and a lot more about what is it that we're building Right. What what are the solutions that we're gonna build in the in the future, and why is it so interesting for them? Right. Really helped. And and the last part is being resilient. It's a numbers game. You gotta open up your funnel, be relentless in generating leads. Doesn't matter if you have someone down the pipe, very close. You gotta continuously be talking to people. Uh, generating more leads and talent uh, uh, because if you don't need them now, you're going to de- need them later and it makes your, your life a lot easier later on as well. Love it, Marcos. Great insight there. Thanks for that. So in that line, want to tell us a little bit, what are you working on right now? I know you're raising a, your seed round and what are the next steps with Kluby? Sure. So put our sales engine in place, right? We built our sales process we achieve, you know, a, 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 a you know good scale with a lot of traction, retention, a lot of uh, recurrence uh, to you know to prove our product market fit. And now we're focusing in in validating our our key monetization hypothesis, right? Uh, that's going to unlock a lot of value for our company, and also in in improving our products and all the way we work to increase our share of wallet. Right, pursuing our mission to become that one-stop shop for these small businesses. That's uh, an important flexion point, and we've got to see the evolution of your business. We're excited about where it's going. You've got some great experience here as a team, and you've got great traction. What's one piece of advice that you can share with other founders? So, very related to that point about uh, recruiting, right? Is don't underestimate the amount of time and effort you need to spend in building our team and finding uh, the best talent. It really needs to be this continuous effort by the founders, right? And you won't get there without it, for sure. I really enjoyed your comment about recruiting tech talent. Yesterday, we had a, a session with my co-founder, Yuri Danilchenko, and he talked about your tech pitch because there's certain ways that you attract engineers. You need to communicate exciting problems because that's what motivates. So it sounds like you've got that figured out. Closing out here, Feshano Koshavi Giordo, what's one word that exemplifies entrepreneurship for you? I think about that word all the time, actually. And for me, it's a roller coaster. It's a, it's a wild ride, but, but you enjoy it all the way through. Yeah, it is. It's a wild ride. Uh, sometimes your best day and your worst day are the same day. Thank you, Marcos. And keep flying high on that roller coaster. And vamos Latam. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Tommy. Really great to be here.